again a joy to be together this morning. We're going to have an impromptu food pantry or a, a household pantry refill ministry uh, for this week as the Norths uh, have a handful of college-age students uh, staying with them. I'm sure all of everything has been cleared out by now, um, so we'll need to assist them. It's good to be able to celebrate uh, communion together, and it's good to be able to love on and care for and share, you know, all the kinds of stuff of life um, and rally around the Pilot family. And, and now we have another privilege. We have the privilege of coming to God's Word together. And so if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our series through Paul's letter to the Colossians, a series that we just sort of threw a little tagline to, treasuring Christ through all of life, that, that sort of joy and passion and and hope would grip our hearts that we would see how incredibly amazing Jesus is, how wonderfully sufficient he is for everything in our lives, that we would want to treasure him as such, that it would have a profound impact on our lives. We're going to read this morning the second paragraph in a, a run of three paragraphs that really get to the heart of discipleship, of following Jesus, of what that looks like to go about treasuring him through all of life. And we're going to read the hard stuff today, 5 through 11. So if you would, look in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, uncircumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would do a good work in our hearts, even now as we set our thoughts on this. Would you be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting of your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, obviously, we had the joy of witnessing and celebrating a baptism in which a young man identified his life in Christ and his desire to walk in newness of life. It is fitting, a fitting visual of where we are in Colossians. We are considering what that newness of life looks like. We're considering how treasuring Christ forms and fuels our discipleship. That is, our following Christ, our walking in newness of life in Christ. We considered last week in that first paragraph of Colossians chapter 3, how Christ is our life. And we are to set and seek Christ in our lives. It means that we are to live out our growing understanding of our new identity. That that paragraph that we considered last week is somewhat like the umbrella paragraph to what following Christ, treasuring Christ, looks like. Today we'll turn our attention now to how we are to lose old ways. How we are to see 
old ways die as we walk in newness of life. And that gets at a significant aspect of our discipleship. A significant aspect of our discipleship is saying goodbye to old ways of looking at and living out life. A profound aspect of our lives has to do with death. A dying to an old way. And treasuring Christ through all of life equips our hearts to be able to say those goodbyes. To say goodbye to those old ways. And this morning, as we consider this, this, we'll consider it quickly or briefly in consideration to its impact on our lives. This is something that we will be doing all of our days, saying goodbye to old ways. We're going to look through this paragraph and see how treasuring Christ and discipleship transforms some things so that we can say those goodbyes. Treasuring Christ through all of life transforms the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. The first list of things that we see associated in this paragraph that we are to put to death are heart issues. These are heart-related issues. So if we go about treasuring Christ through all of life, our hearts are being equipped to be able to say goodbye to those things. Second thing that we see some transformation occur is not just in the condition of our heart, but then in the content of our lives, the things that come out of the heart, the things that we say and do and, and the attitudes associated with all that stuff that comes out of the heart. We start to see transformation in the content of our lives as we start putting away, tearing off, ridding ourselves of old way living. And then thirdly, we, We see it here, and we'll see it in high measure in the next paragraph. But not only is it important that we see that treasuring Christ through all of life transforms the content of our heart, or the um, condition of our heart and the content of our lives, but it's then all our lives all wrapped up together. It changes then the culture of the church, that we don't go about using our speech in ways that tear down or harm, but rather build up and Encourage that we stop lying to one another and we're honest with each other. So it has an impact then on the culture. There are some culture things that when we are all together that we also have to tear off and pull away and put away and not have associated with us. And then lastly, though, that don't believe it's a point, but it is going to be a point of emphasis. We're going to consider how in the world can we do this? How? So that's where we're going this morning quickly. First is this, treasuring Christ and discipleship transforms the condition of your heart. Look right out of the gate in verse 5. Put to death. Put to death. Just note the severity of what is being said here. Something is to die. This thing that Paul is going to draw our attention to is first emphasized with the action of putting it to death. And then what we see is a list of things that can consume and, and characterize a, a, a heart, the condition of a heart. This is, this is a picture of a heart that, is, that is, once was far from Christ, not alive in Christ, but dead in the world. 
And then therefore lived and sort of swam in the water of that deadness. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness. This longing for something other than God to be God in the human heart. Which we see at the very end of the verse is called idolatry. We are to put to death idols of the heart. For you who are a Colossians 1, 3, 1 through 4 person. If you are in Christ, the first thing that Paul then says to you is put to death. Put to death these things. This heart that is prone to idolatry. What's interesting about our heart is that our hearts are designed for worship. And they will worship something. Our hearts will worship something. That's what we're really good at because God made us that way. Sin has thoroughly corrupted that heart so that we want to worship these things, these pleasures, these experiences, this this pursuit that is far from God. And the first imperative from Paul is to put to death what is earthly in us. And, and he goes on and lists these heart-related issues. And I call them heart-related issues because it's out of the heart that we live. Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. The things that we do on the external, on the outside, with our talk and with our actions, they're all coming from something, some places, sourcing it. And that sources the heart. The writer of Proverbs In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, gave us some good direction. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. These are heart issues. And and because you are now in Christ, you are equipped with something that you've never had before. One greater than your heart. So now you are able to put to death. You are to You are able now to die to these things that would fall under the category of idolatry. That list there in verse 5 is the list that rules the hearts and it then shows up in how we live. It's idolatry and idolatry is the worship of anything other than God. It is treating something not God as God. It's giving something else your worship and not giving it to God And our hearts, due to the nature of sin, due to the fact that they are soaked in the formaldehyde of sin, will only be prone to go after these things that are not God until God is the one who grasps them. Everyone in here can feel the pull to that which we once lived under. Why? Because our hearts will worship something. And this is serious, and and Paul uses a very serious imperative here, put to death. There was a theologian 400 years ago or so, or uh, maybe just a pinch under, who put it this way. He was spitting bars, if you will. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Think about that for a moment. Be killing sin, or it, sin, will be killing you. It's profound. Sin is not neutral. 
doesn't live in a vacuum. It has one goal, like a virus, conquer and kill. And our hearts are prone to that. And so the overflow of life in Christ is now that we are equipped to go after killing these things. That's the seriousness of what Paul charges us with. And he he emphasizes it all the more in the next sentence. The wrath of God is coming for such idolatry. God's not messing around with that either. There's a seriousness, a weightiness to this. It should be an alarm if we find our hearts drifting and pulling after things. Like if last week we talked about a magnet, we feel the magnet pull from the things of this world or just even its own desire from within. Those are alarms that are triggered. Something not God is competing for your heart. And Paul's very clear at the seriousness of this. Sin is destructive. It is a deadly poison. It cannot be domesticated. And this is the good news, is that the appropriate overflow of the gospel of grace of Christ is that those who are in Christ are now equipped to kill sin, to fight it. I say that with great confidence because I don't say it in something that you and I possess of ourselves. I say it because of what we possess in Christ. Keep in mind, as Margot read from Colossians 2, and as you cast your eye up into the beginning part of Colossians 3, Jesus paid a penalty that we would never be able to pay back. He paid a penalty that we could never pay. He paid the penalty of our sin. Jesus had so much resources of righteousness and perfection that he was able to most overwhelmingly and generously pay for our debt of sin. If Jesus can pay the debt of Overcome the penalty, is he not enough to fight the presence of sin in our heart now? Or maybe once more, Jesus overcame death. He overcame a tomb. He was dead and he overcame it. And in so doing, he overcame sin and its consequences. And in so doing it, he overcame evil and Satan. He overcame enemies that you and I are not equipped to fight. He did that. And if you are in him, if you have Jesus, then you have that guy. And that guy beat the devil. That guy beat the tomb. And that guy is living in you through his spirit. And what you have in you is greater than that which is in the world. It is even greater than that which lurks around in your own heart. So you have more than you realize. What does Paul say at the end of Romans 8? You are more than a conqueror because you have Christ. So while it is heavy and weighty and the call is a call to death, it's a call to put to death these things in our hearts, you don't go about doing that in a status of weakness. You, You have Christ. That is our only means of putting any of this to death. So be encouraged, even as you feel the weightiness of that stuff that lingers and lurks in your own heart. Second thing that we see is that we are then to get rid of some stuff. Now, 
That's my favorite form of packing, is packing it right into the dumpster or the trash can. Spring clean is awesome because it goes into the trash. And there are some things in our lives that need to go into that same trash can. The content of our life. We're to rid ourselves of old ways. If we go about treasuring Christ, we become more and more equipped, more aware of some old way living that we got to toss, that we got to get rid of, that we, we, we need to dispose of. What rules the heart will show up in how we live. Notice what he says, how on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming in these things. You once to walked again, a metaphor for how you go about living out your life. You once lived out your life doing this stuff. And what was some of the stuff? Well, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And so Paul says to put it off, which is really, it it softens it a little bit of what he's saying. It's more of a radical tearing off of old ways. They are no longer fitting for someone in Christ. It means to put off or to tear away. It's radical and drastic and, and necessary. And if you just look back up again to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we're going to always lift our eye back up to that paragraph because that paragraph means everything. We can't live out 3, 5 through 11 without first being a 1 through 4 person. And so because of what is true about those who are in Christ that is displayed in verses 1 through 4 of this chapter, we have a new ruler of our hearts. And with that comes a new way of living. No, now this is important. We can't simply get rid of external actions without ever addressing the heart. What that will end up being is that it just will lead to us faking it. Faking holiness, faking church, quote, unquote. This is the overflow of our hearts being radically made new and transformed as we are going about treasuring Christ. And then it leads to us wanting to like tear away old ways of living. Yes, we must fight sin in our hearts as we seek to live out our new lives in Christ. And, and here's the thing. We can't live old way living with a new ruler. You can't go about living an old way life when Christ rules your heart. It will only lead to conflict. I had a season in my life where I was in spiritual conflict. It's 19. Who isn't in conflict at 19? Spiritual conflict. Because what I believed and how I lived didn't match up. I didn't like how I felt about my life. There was an unsettledness in my soul, in my heart. Something didn't feel right. You ever pull a muscle in your back or something's out of line and it just, no matter how you move or whatever, you can't really kind of like find comfort, you know? You're always doing that and you just can't get it and it just feels like out of sorts and disjointed. That That was me. That was my whole person. It's my whole being. I didn't like my thought life. I didn't like how I talked. I felt awful about the sense of humor I had. 
the kind of things I was gravitating toward, I, I just felt dirty. And that conflict was the best thing. There was a new ruler in my heart, but my life didn't catch up yet to that. And my heart was definitely restless until I saw how Christ is now my life. It wasn't until more of the light bulb of chapter 3, 1 through 4 went off that I then began to realize how my life is to then reflect that which I belong to. I'm going to share good news for those of us in here who may feel exactly like the way I just described myself feeling. Who may feel that like right now in this very moment. Who didn't like the first point that we talked about because it made you feel that all the more. I have good news for anyone who feels this way right now. It's found in 1 John 3.20. Sometimes there's only a thread that holds us together when we feel like we're crumbling. Or when we feel like we're wasting opportunities. When we feel like we're a failure. And if that thread is the love of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then that thread is stronger than you can possibly imagine. I want you to know for those hearts who feel the weight of just feeling like you don't like your thought life, you don't like the sense of humor you gravitate towards, you don't like the way that you talk, you feel dirty, you feel like all this stuff, this old way of living seems to dominate your life. I want you to be encouraged by 1 John 3, 20, for whatever, whenever our hearts condemn us, and oh, do they condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Hear that this morning. God is greater than that heart of yours. And God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he doesn't deal with us the way we deserve. And he removes that sin of ours as far as the east is from the west. Hear that. You don't have to live under that trap and that's what it is. Grace is greater than all our sin. There's an old hymn that sings that out. Grace, grace, grace greater than all of our sin. And then it leads us then to be able to put away, to tear off these ways. These old ways, when we see the nature of God's grace towards us in Christ, it equips our hearts to tear off these old ways of living so that we can live a new one. And when we take those old ways and we tear them off and we, we, take, try, you know, we begin to put on these new ways of living, we do so not individualistically, but we do so together as a church. And that's what we find here. It's not just an individualistic paragraph that we're talking about. Though it does talk about our individual lives, it's also within the context of this thing called the church. Notice verse 9. Do not lie to one another. That's the next imperative. There are three of them. There's put to death, put away or rid yourself, and then thirdly, do not lie. It's a very interesting thing that Paul says here. Do not lie, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then again, verse 11, it's talking about the context of this diverse thing called the church. 
God's gospel aim and work and mission throughout the world is that he's going to rescue people from all kinds of places and and he's going to have all kinds of people that belong to him. And all of them, here we have in verse 11, are gathering together in, in this thing called the church. The culture of our church isn't to reflect the old ways. The culture of our church is to reflect what it looks like to follow after this new way. Not, not perfectly, but following after the new way, perf- or new way that we have. So old way living has no place in a made new community. The church is made up of people who have been rescued. Old way living has no place in this made new community. So what rules our hearts and shows up in our lives does have a profound impact on our church. And Paul called the church in Colossae, excuse me, to stop lying to each other. So there's something about how they were getting distracted from Jesus that showed up in the way that they interacted with each other, that they weren't being truthful, they weren't being honest, they weren't being real, they were lying to one another. We saw before in chapter 2 that they were getting impacted by this sort of like quasi-combo, works-righteous, super-over-spiritualized. So my sort of reading into that would be that they're faking it. They're, they're trying to live out this life that's way more holier than what it is because they're trying to move up the sort of meritorious system that these false teachers are sort of infiltrating the church with. He said, don't lie to each other. Don't be dishonest. Anyone in Christ has been renewed after Christ. And it's to reflect their life, reflect Christ more and more in their lives. Don't have to hide where you're at at that. If it's a struggle or if you're wrestling, be honest. If old ways seem to be gripped tightly, be honest. Seek encouragement, accountability, help. And so there seems to have been in the Colossian church some sort of conflict, social conflict in the church where people feel the weight and pressure of looking or performing in such a way rather than just simply delighting in what God is doing through the gospel and trusting him more. So let's be honest with who we are and what we need and who can get it and who has what we need in spades. The culture of made new people, delighting in the one who made them new, and dying to old ways of living, one that's honest about that is overwhelmingly attractive. Do you know that that's better than the best coffee, the most comfortable chairs, the best lighting, the best stage, the best preacher? Best band, you know what's more attractive? Real people, really trusting, a really God, and all the real stuff of life. Delighting in the one who made them new and dying to old ways of living is overwhelmingly attractive. There's a church in Nashville that have this mantra, this little thing that they say. It's it's a little striking. I kind of like it. First thing they say is, I'm a complete idiot. So anybody who else is a complete idiot, you're welcome here. All the idiots come, please. We're all 
that. Second thing, my future is incredibly bright. And thirdly, anyone can get in on this. The culture of a church that delights in God is honest about our need, even more honest about how God meets that need. A church that's eager to die to old ways because living in Christ is far better can also be a church that says anyone can get in on this. The Colossian church were suffering from outside forces telling them that only certain things can get in on this. That's not the case. Old ways die. Put them off, tear them off. New clothes, put them on. Now, some of you are going to be sitting there thinking through all of this and you're going to be wondering, but how? This is heart issue and it informs how I live. And then how we all are living has an impact on our culture. How in the world can we get to this? How can we do this? Well, the first thing I want to say to you is encourage you with is the title, but also obviously the content of it. But the title of a sermon from a couple of hundred years ago from a Scottish pastor named Thomas Chalmers. The title of the sermon is called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a new affection. That means you delight in something, something new. It's so overwhelmingly awesome. It kicks out these other delights that you once had. Most young men in this room probably have felt the expulsive power of a new affection. A girl they liked had her heart drifted to another young man and he was expelled (laughs) from her heart. Something better, something greater, something amazing comes into the contact of our heart that's so overwhelmingly awesome, it kicks out the lesser stuff. How? How do we go about dying to these things and ridding ourselves of these things and putting on new clothes? Well, it's experiencing the expulsive power of a new affection in Christ. How, Chalmers asks, can the human heart be freed from its love of the world? Is it simply just by eliminating? It's not enough to simply eliminate bad things from your heart and life. It's not enough to just try to get rid of stuff. Chalmers goes on, and this is a couple hundred years ago. Talk about a surgeon of the heart. Goes on to say, there are two ways that we could try to get rid of bad stuff from our lives. We can show how bad it is or how insufficient it is and, and just sort of like beat our hearts up. See, this is bad for you. Stop it. This is insufficient for you. Stop it. Or we can go about saying, no, there's, there's something so more amazing, so overwhelmingly worthy of your heart. It's so incredible. Instead of saying, this is bad, get rid of it. it is, this is so overwhelming, cling to it. It's not enough to simply try to eliminate bad things from your heart and life because all that will do is create a vacuum. I want to read a quote from Chalmers. I think it will be on the screen. It will be a couple of slides. Such is the grasping tendency of the human heart. Get that? The grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of of which if you wrestled away Without the substitution of another, something in its place 
would leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to the natural system. So as hunger is such a pain for your body that maybe some of you are feeling now and you're like, hey, wrap this up. So is like the mind. If you tear away that which what it was once delighting in, but don't put something in its place. How do we go about putting to death earthly things in our heart? How do we rid ourselves of these old nasty clothes of old way living? How do we go about doing that? It's not just possible by just tearing it away. Our hearts will go grasping after something. And they will grasp anything until they are grasped by Christ and grasped with Christ. Our tools, our strength, our means of putting to death, of ridding ourselves, of putting off, are only ever going to be found with an expulsive power of a new affection in Christ. The how is to see Colossians 3, 1 through 4, not merely as an umbrella, but also the very instrument by which we live out 5 through 11 and 12 through 17. To live out Colossians 3, 5 through 11, we need a daily, joyful, radical Colossians 3, 1 through 4 mindset. It's a long way to say. Our hope for the how is found in treasuring Christ. Finding in Him the one who is so overwhelmingly worthy to be the treasure of your heart. Without that, your heart will just grasp at anything. So, friends, brothers, sisters, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are in the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set and seek your heart on the expulsive power of a new affection in Christ Jesus. I once heard, and I'm sure many of you in here, knowing many of your backgrounds have heard or said or used this little riddle or joke with your kids or a young mind or what have you, but I heard this trick one, trick question once. How do you get all the air out of a cup? You fill it with coffee. Ah, you thought I was going to say water, didn't you? You fill it with water. May God graciously fill our hearts with the expulsive power of a new affection for Christ and that the air of this world and our wayward hearts would have no more room as the water of God's grace fills it in its place. God, we pray that this would be true for us. We would see how we have in Christ the means by which we can put to death 
that which is earthly in us, that we can rid ourselves, tear away from ourselves the things of this old way of life as we learn and, and, and sort of toddler walk into this new way of living that you would have for us, that we would see in Christ one so supremely worthy to be the treasure of our hearts, that that would be the delight, that would be the affection that kicks out the lesser ones in our hearts. And God, would you help us to know that even in those moments in which we are self-condemning, even those times in which we feel like we're sinking under the shame of our sin, God, remind us in those moments that you are greater than our hearts, that your grace and your mercy know no end. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.